Good morning. If you have your Bibles, get them open and turn to Mark, or Mark, Matthew 28. You'll be right by Mark 1 if you're in Matthew 28, but turn to Matthew 28, and we're going to be continuing our uh, several-week dive in uh, to the Great Commission. This passage we, have, we find at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus gives us uh, our marching orders, his plan A uh, for changing the world, and there is no plan B, and so we have been spending uh, several weeks looking at that. We're going to continue to that. Uh, with that today as our look into uh, his command to take this into all nations, right? And so um, that's going to be our theme this morning. We're, we're glad that you are here today. Um, it's, it's getting to be uh, middle August now, which means school has started. Uh, ISU students, I believe, are moving in this weekend. Rose Holman will be shortly behind uh, them. And so we're going to start feeling the fuller room again. We're always excited about that. And I uh, hope you've had a good, if you, you sent a little one to school this week or uh, you went to school this week. I hope it was a good first couple of days for you, and uh, that, that today will be a refuge uh, for you as you prepare for next week. We are grateful that you're here. If you're a guest here, by the way, uh, we're so glad that you're here. And I know how hard it is to try someplace new. Um, you should find a Connect card uh, near you and see back in front of you. Or you, if you if you leave today on your way out, would you stop by our welcome desk? Uh, we have a gift for you uh, for coming uh, because we know how difficult that can be. And, and we're just we want to express our gratitude for you. Uh, being here and checking us out today, and we hope and pray the Lord will meet you. And we're going to start with just that. Before I get in the sermon, I'm going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer today. So, God, we're grateful for each and every person that you have brought here this morning, each and every person who's tuning in online, and we know that none of it is by accident. God, there's a reason uh, that we are all here today, and it's you. Um, and you have saw, you've seen fit to, to bring us here and to have us be here in this moment. So we just, we just invite you now to have your way. Uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd push me uh, out of the way. You'd push distractions of life out of the way. Any baggage or, or burdens or hurdles we came in with, may we find just grace and relief at the foot of the cross of Jesus. And may your word just speak powerfully now. And we ask this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, I've actually never once stepped foot into the city of Paris, Paris France. Um, never actually walked in the city, never been there. And yet two of the more emotional moments of my life happened there. And I'll try to explain. The first one was on, on March 12th, 2020. I always remember this day because on March 12th, 2020, I was in Germany uh, actually visiting Andy and J.C. Johnson, who we'd sent there as missionaries. And uh, between 2 and 3 a.m., I was awoken by uh, it was between 35 and 40 missed calls and missed, missed texts. Because what was happening back in the States while I was sleeping is our president was announcing that starting uh, two days, like 20, 28, 30 hours from that moment, there would be a 30-day travel ban on all flights from Europe. And so it was, it was, I was led to believe if I didn't get home in one day, then I wouldn't see my family for at least a month and who knows how long. And all of Europe was led to believe that by the way it was announced uh, because every single uh, airline website and phone number had crashed. Um, they were all, uh, all the prices had been gouged and skyrocketed, and it was just a chaotic mess. Uh, I ended up waking up Andy and JC early in the morning. We, we rushed to an airport in Switzerland. Uh, there was a bomb threat while I was there, uh, we, so I missed the first flight, missed the connecting flight, and was told in the Paris airport that there are no more flights to America. We can't get you home. And I turned around, I looked at the terminal around me, and I'd been up 16 hours at this point, had nothing to eat the entire day, and the, the only restaurant in the entire terminal in that, Paris, in that section of the Paris airport was McDonald's. And so I walked in McDonald's, and I ordered a chicken sandwich, and I sat down and was just trying to process the reality that I'm probably not going to make it home. 
And I had a theory that you could never be sad while eating a chicken sandwich. It turns out you can be sad while eating a chicken sandwich, right? It was a learning experience for me. And the rest of that story is for another day. Obviously, I made it home, um, and I'll tell that in another sermon. But the other, the other really emotional moment for me occurred while I was above the city of Paris. And I'll explain that as well. It was November of 2018. We, as a church, were, were launching our uh, village sponsorship of the Paleywala Village in Sierra Leone, Africa. And I was to travel with the team that was to go um, and, and be that first sort of point of contact. And I had to stay back uh, to do a funeral for a church member. And so I, the, the rest of the team left without me. And so I uh, stayed, uh, got the funeral in, rushed to the airport, and got on the flight by myself. And it was a flight from Indianapolis to Paris. And if you've ever flown transatlantic overnight, it really messes with you because about the time you think you should be going to sleep, the sun's coming up because you've jumped all those time travels, right? And I remember, I remember actually laying my head against the window thinking, I need to sleep now. And the stewardess said, what would you like for breakfast? I thought, something's wrong here, right? And so I just opened up the window. Sun was up. I was like, why not? I mean, I'm just not going to sleep tonight. And we were descending, doing a really slow, gradual descent into Paris. And it was a very clear day. And so I thought, maybe I'll get to see the Eiffel Tower. Right? So I'm looking out the window, and that's when I start hearing on the opposite side of the plane a lot of excited little gasps when people are like, look, look, it's the Eiffel Tower. And I realize they can all see it, and I can't. And so I threw a massive fit and just started crying, right? That's, okay, that's not, that's not the real emotional moment. That didn't happen, okay? The real emotional moment came was from what I saw besides the Eiffel Tower, okay? Because I, I never saw it. But I kept looking out the window, and like I said, it was a very gradual descent, like a, like a 10-minute descent. And I could see everything below me. And I saw house after house after house after house, apartment building after apartment building after apartment building after apartment building. And it was 7 a.m. Paris time, so lights were on. And you could, you could see literally everything. The people were getting ready for the day. The streets were already full with people walking. Cars were bumper to bumper. You saw the taillights and the headlights. And it just kept going on and on and on, more and more. And this is the thought that struck me. This is a city I've never been to, have no plans on ever going I don't, maybe the Lord would take me there one day. I have no, there's nothing I would go there for in and of myself. And in the last few minutes, I have flown over hundreds of thousands of people at least, if not more, all going about their day with zero clue that I just passed by. And those hundreds of thousands of people, I will never meet. They will never meet me. They will never even know I existed. And they're probably better off for that, right? And two convictions hit me. The first was just for the gospel, I just started praying, God, God, send your messengers to this place. Raise up your church. Ignite this city on fire for the gospel. Because I, I, it struck me that those were souls I was looking at. But the, more, the last and more lasting feeling was this one. I began to feel really guilty and sheepish about all the times that I had acted and operated and thought as if life was about me. All the times that I had this egocentric view of my life and my faith and my walk with Jesus, because in that moment, looking down at the city, I realized just how small I am. There's nothing that I do that compares with what God is up to. The, the, the creation, he's already, the world he's already created is so much bigger and greater than what I could dream of, and the kingdom that he is actively building is so much bigger and greater than anything I could dream of. But therein lies the brilliance of the Great Commission. We've been spending the last several weeks as a church breaking down what Jesus gives us here at the end of Matthew, these marching orders. And the greatest, most repeated message in the Great Commission is left unspoken. And it's this, that life's not about you. That God is up to some tremendously awesome, great, big things, and he's telling us to join him in it. And when we live for God's glory 
and we see others as more important than ourselves, there's, at that moment, there's no limit to what God can accomplish through us. And so last week, we looked at Jesus' call for us to, to make disciples, right? And in that, we saw how deep that commandment goes. It's not, it's not go make believers. It's go make disciples who make disciples. And so we saw the depth of the Great Commission last week. This week, we're going to see how wide and how far-reaching it goes. And I told you, we've got three goals for the series. And the first is, is that you will simply memorize this passage, right? That you'll be able to say it without looking it up. The second is that you'll understand everything we're being called to here. And third is that you'll live it. And to help us memorize it, we've been saying it out loud together. Instead of one scripture reader coming up, we've all been reading the passage together. And so we're going to do that again this morning. We're going to put Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20 on the slide. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word. And we are going to read this passage together. Matthew 28, verse 18 starts, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you. You guys can grab a seat. And we started in our first week in the series by just looking at this ridiculous claim that Jesus makes that all authority is his in heaven and on earth. And so what we talked about is how everything that comes after that is not a suggestion, right? It comes directly to us from the single greatest authority in the universe. And so then Pastor Adam had the job of building an entire sermon off one word, which he did a great job of with just the word go. Uh, last week we looked at this uh, imperative, this two-word imperative, uh, make disciples. And today our focus is what we've highlighted for you, just this, that this idea of where we are to do this is in all nations. Okay? And the reason that we're looking so intently at this passage is because it, it gives us our purpose. Right? We don't need to ask the question, what does God want me to do with my life? We, he's already answered it. He's, he's told us what we are to be living for. And so the question I'm going to start with this morning is, what was Jesus' purpose? Okay, if, if this is our purpose when God gave us life in this earth, when God sent Jesus to this earth, what did he come to accomplish? And that list is not short, but, but Jesus has a way of simplifying things for us. He can take everything that he came to do and, and, and summarize it for us in one key phrase. And I want you to see what he says. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. This is right at the start of his earthly ministry. And Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 4, again, this is right at the start, uh, right in the early phases of earthly ministry, he says this, from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, if you go to Luke in chapter 4, again, in the early phases of his ministry, Jesus said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to other towns also. And if you want to know what his purpose was, he tells you, because I was sent for this purpose. Over and over and over again, Jesus makes clear what his purpose was. And in describing it this way, he summates for us all that he came to do. So the first thing we need to grasp this morning is this, that Jesus Christ came to establish the kingdom of God. And I, I want us to make sure we, we grasp this because we have this way of, of sort of individualizing what Jesus did on the cross, right? Where, where the messaging is like this, that Jesus died for me and my sins on the cross, and that's not wrong, by the way. 
If, if, if the greatest problem in my life is my sin. And if it's not taken care of, if my sin is not paid for and taken care of by Jesus, I will spend an eternity in hell. And so if you repent in G, in, and believe in Jesus, he is, his death and resurrection does pay the price for your sins personally. Okay. But Jesus' purpose was so much bigger than just me or my eternity. And that's not a bummer. That's an invitation. Because now when I follow him, now when I become his disciple, right, I get to join up with him on something that's far bigger than me. And it, because Jesus came to establish a kingdom that he's the king of. And the first thing we've got to grasp with this is that it's not an earthly kingdom. In, in John 18, he's standing before Pilate and being interrogated. And Pilate asks if he's a king. And here's what Jesus' response was. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that it wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom's not from here. And so as you think of the kingdom of God, here's what I want you to think of. The kingdom of God is, is anywhere that God's re- redemptive reign is felt and submitted to. And so God's redemptive reign is felt and submitted to. It's, it's on earth. It's in heaven. It's boundless. It's eternal. It grows and multiplies as more and more people submit to God's good reign as they give their lives to Jesus Christ. But I want, you to un- I want to unpack for you this morning and help you understand just how vital Jesus is to this kingdom. He didn't just establish it. Right? He, he, Jesus is the one who initiated it. He's the one who proclaimed it. He's the one who announced it. He's the one who demonstrated uh, its power. Like He showed what the kingdom could do through his miracles and his power and his grace. And then he's the one who purchased God's kingdom by his own blood. Because here's what Colossians 1 tells us. That God, he, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into this kingdom that Jesus made, right? Into the kingdom of, his, of his, the son he loves. And here's how. But now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. And so that is that, is that wonderful act of salvation where you're taken from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God. And the only way that's possible is because Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. And he paid that price in his own body. The kingdom of God is possible because Jesus opened it up for us. He's purchased every citizen and every member of this kingdom through his own death and resurrection. And the last thing we need to understand about this morning is that he's going to return in victory and expand his kingdom and reign even more. He's coming back. Acts 1 is, is the chapter where we read of his ascension, right? He gives, he gives his disciples, these marching orders, this great commission, and then he ascends up into heaven in front of their eyes. And verse, and verse 10 of Acts 1 says that while he's doing this, while he's going, the disciples are sitting there, they're gazing into heaven watching him, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven, he's going to come back in the same way that you've seen him going. Again, there's... So much more here to dig into. There's way more that we can cover in a single sermon. This will be a major theme in our study of Mark as a church this fall. We're going to talk a lot about the kingdom of God, but what you need to know this morning is this, that Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God, and he's the king of it. And what we see here in the Great Commission is that God's kingdom has no borders. Remember, one of our goals is that you understand the Great Commission. Well, this one should be easy to understand. Of all nations... It's pretty clear, isn't it? Jesus including the phrase of all nations in his great commission to us means that there are places that we cannot draw a finish line, to borrow last week's analogy. We cannot only attempt to reach those in our families. We cannot only attempt to make disciples of those who look like us. 
We can't only attempt to make disciples of those who live like us or share the same language as us or have the same culture as us. Now, I understand for some of you, just to get you to that point would be an improvement. Right? And we want you to, to start in those places, but that's not the finish line. In fact, Jesus' breakdown to his disciples in Acts 1 is incredibly helpful. Because in Acts 1, here's, here's what we read. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the same day that he gave them the Great Commission that we read and we're studying in Matthew 28. But Luke records for us an aspect of this exchange that includes four geographical markers where he tells his disciples, this is where you're going to go and be my witnesses to. And those four geographical locations were not stated by Jesus by accident. He did not pick them at random. He did not just throw them out as examples. He had intentions and designs for everyone. And it it helps us, if we understand what he meant by each one, it helps us to understand what Jesus means when he says, make disciples of all nations. And so I want to break each of those four down in the context as Jesus' disciples would have heard it the day he said it. And so when he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, here's what he means. You're going to be my witnesses to people who look like you, people who believe like you, have the same sort of Judaistic religious background as you, and who live near you. This was their softest, easiest target. Basically, you're going to be my witnesses right where I'm leaving you, right where I placed you. And once that's done, he says, then you're going to go be my witnesses in Judea. Now, those in Judea look like these guys. They had a culture like them. They had the same sort of Judaistic religious background as them. They just lived further away. It was just there was effort to go get to them. Right? And so you're starting to get a glimpse of the multiplication and, and expansion vision that Jesus has for his kingdom to grow. But then everything changed when he said, you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria. Because this is where it starts to get really interesting. Because the Samaritans didn't look like the Jews. They didn't believe like the Jews. They had a different culture than the Jews. And there was great animosity between Jewish people and Samaritans. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you're going to take the gospel there too. Places not only you don't go now, but wouldn't want to go. You're going to go. I'm telling you to go because those people matter to me as well. And then from there, he says, you're going to go be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Same phrase in Matthew 28, of all nations. That's everywhere that's left. People who aren't near you, people who are an ocean removed from you, people who have a different culture and language and background and upbringing than you. And I want you to know, when Jesus made this list, this wasn't an either or. He wasn't giving them a menu, an a la carte menu they could select one or two from. We don't have to decide between making disciples right where God has placed us and making disciples worldwide. Jesus tells us it's both. You're going to do all of this. It's all of the above. Our marching orders are to be faithful where he has placed us and go and sin and share and take his gospel all over the world. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is, is in Revelation where we get to see how this is actually realized in God's kingdom. That this actually will come true. Because in Revelation 7, John sees a vision of what heaven will look like and he records it for us. He says, after this I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. I do not want you to miss that image this morning. 
Because what we see there is that there won't be distinctions between churches like we make here. There won't be distinctions between a Methodist church or a Baptist church or a Wesleyan church or a Christian church. There won't be a black church and a white church or a brown church. It will be a, a single church gathered around the throne, people from every tribe, people, nation, language, and tongue, and they will all be blown away by the goodness of God. And I'll be worshiping him forever. It's a beautiful picture. And my favorite time ever reading this passage was standing in that village of Paliwal in Sierra Leone. On the weekend that we were announcing our partnership to that place, and I was in their church on Sunday morning and had the privilege of, of giving the sermon, and I opened it with uh, self-deprecating humor, just making fun of all the ways I was different than them. Right, how their son would just burn my skin in less than an hour. How uh, I have all these ridiculous freckles, and, they don't, and then turns out every culture loves when you make fun of yourself, right? And it just, I just listed all the ways we were different, and then I read Revelation 7 to them. And started talking to them about everything we have in common. Right? And how the love and gospel and mission of Jesus compelled us to come to them. And that our hope and our prayer was that more and more of them and more and more of their neighbors and more and more of the surrounding villages would be at that throne in heaven with us, that the gospel would take root in their village and then expand and multiply and multiply where Paleywala would become a light for Jesus in the surrounding village because Revelation 7 is our finish line. Because every single human being is made in the image of God. They've all been given a soul and no one is beyond the scope or reach of the gospel. There is no one whose sin Jesus' blood could not atone for. And so we are to take his gospel and build his kingdom and make disciples of him in all nations. It's undeniable in the scriptures that God has a heart for the nations. But what that means for us who aren't God, it means that obedience to Jesus in this is going to require a balance. Because this calling is just so vast, because it literally could not get bigger, unless, unless somehow Jesus showed up tomorrow and was like, by the way, there are alien nations out there I want you to reach to. Right, that's the only way this calling could get bigger. He's told us to go literally all over the world, that we are to advance the, God, the kingdom of God and make disciples everywhere. A mandate this big and huge causes a variety of reactions. And there's an image that, that helps me think through things, and I use it a lot with the staff. Um, they're probably getting sick and tired of me using it, right? And I've used it with you before, and if you're getting tired of it, sorry, I'm not sorry. It helps me think through things, and we're going to use it again, right? And the image is that there, there is a path. There's, there's a middle road that you want to be on, and then there are ditches on both sides that you want to avoid. And thinking through the Great Commission, that, that, thinking that way helped me think through our responsibility to this, because I, I want to present to you two ditches, two ways that we don't want to respond to this. And the first ditch is what I would call the burdensome delusion of grandeur. And it's the idea that with, with a mission that we have that's never completed, or with a mission where there's always more to save and always more to go to and never a lack of need, that can quickly, if processed wrongly, that can quickly become overwhelming, draining, and ultimately defeating. To feel like it's somehow on you to save the entire world, to feel every hurt, to carry every burden, there is death down that road. At the very least, there's burnout. And what will happen is that load will break your back so much that you ultimately won't be any good for the mission at all. And one of the things that complicates this is just the age we live in with the internet and social media and news. We know way more than we should know. We just do. 
We know way more about what's happening in every corner of the globe than we should know or any other prior generation would have known. And this faux omniscience is not good for our souls. That's undeniable. Colossians 1 tells us that it's by his power that Jesus Christ is holding all of creation together. That is a role and burden that's been uniquely designed and given to him. We were never meant to carry the weight of omniscience. You can absolutely know too much. And so ditch number one is is thinking that we should or can know everything and save everyone. And ditch number two on the other side is tribalism or nationalism or any other kind of ism you want to throw out there. I I remember a a clear example of this uh, during the Ebola crisis in West Africa. Um, several years ago, and, and there were some American doctors who were followers of Jesus, and they felt like the Lord uh, asked them to go to uh, West Africa and help manage this crisis. They had some skills and expertise, and so they went over there to help, and a couple of them actually contracted Ebola themselves. And our government did what I thought was a really cool thing. They, they flew them back to the States in, in special uh, military planes and then put them in isolation wings where they could get care here in America and, and get healthy. And I remember being shocked to hear some conservative talking heads criticizing this. And the argument was basically this, that we should have never brought them home for care because basically they never should have went because there are sick people in America And Ebola was not America's problem. By coming back, those doctors are putting Americans at risk, and so they're just against the whole thing. Now, honestly, I could really care less what your political views are on nationalism, but what I can tell you is this, that tribalism has no place in the kingdom of God. None. The last two destinations that Jesus gave to his disciples in Acts 1 were not by accident. He chose them specifically. To be his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea would not be a stretch for those guys. But Samaria? Samaritans and Jews hated each other. There was racial division between them. There was religious division between them. There were arguments over borders. The disdain ran deep, and it was felt by both. And yet, you know what we find early in the book of Acts? We find the early church going into Samaria with the Gospels. In the ends of the earth, obviously this would stretch them. This was before the internet and air travel and more. Right? People who are serving on, on mission fields now are making great sacrifices. But if you study like, the early missionaries of church history, all of them died early. They all died young because they were going to undeveloped nations with no, with no sort of medical care system. They were leaving where, when travel was impossible to ever come back home. And they were planting there and sharing the seeds of the gospel and giving up their lives at a young age. It stretched them. It called them to something hard. So we absolutely need to help and reach those around us. But we cannot draw a finish line where Jesus didn't draw it. So how do we avoid those two ditches? Well, I think our answer is found in our passage from last week, in Mark 8, where Jesus is defining what a disciple is. And he says a disciple would deny himself, take up his cross, and here's the key phrase, and follow me. Follow me. That means... I'm out leading and you come behind me. Following Jesus means acting on opportunities and needs he brings your way. Remember the old hymn, Be Thou My Vision? You're asking, you're asking Lord, help me see what you see. Help me see what, what doors you're opening. Let me see where you're leading me to go and then I'll follow you there. And here's why. There's an entire world of needs out there. This entire globe full of people who need saved. Where do you start? Well, you start where Jesus points you. You know, there are poor villages all over the world. 
There are poor villages all over Africa. There are poor villages littering the whole country of Sierra Leone. When we traveled to Paleywala, we passed several villages just as destitute as that one. So why has this church passed, partnered with, with that village? It was the one presented to us. That's why. God opened the door and we believed he was asking us to say yes. Now, there's no way I can remember them all, but I was trying to this week, just writing these down. In just the short time that I've been here, people from this church have gone to Congo, Germany, Dominican Republic, Sierra Leone, Canada, Haiti, Mexico, Switzerland, Italy, and I know I'm forgetting some. And you know why they went to those places and not somewhere else? Because God opened the door. There are multiple families who are sponsoring children from Sierra Leone. They're doing so not because Sierra Leone is the only country with poor children in need, but because that is the opportunity that God brought along their way. You see where I'm heading with this? This is God's mission. He is at work all the time, and he's commanding us to join him in that. But when we do, he still calls the shots. And so he's going to lead you, especially if you're willing, he's going to lead you to people and connections and missionaries and churches all over the world that you're to have a small part in supporting and serving and helping And to follow him is just to give him a yes before he asks. When he brings that next opportunity your way, you just do it following his lead. To avoid both ditches, to find that balance, is to act as his ambassador right where he's placed you. For you right now, that's Terre Haute for this season. It's to act as his ambassador here and then jump on any opportunities he brings your way to have a hand in making disciples both globally and to wherever Samaria is for you. Now, you're going to hear me say it every week. Like all aspects of this great commission, this is a huge call. And so I want to give us a couple of encouragements in response as we think through how to obey the Lord in this. And the first one is simply this. Stop trying to build dividing walls that Jesus has destroyed. Every soul matters deeply to the Lord. And so every soul needs to matter deeply to us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is writing to that Gentile church about about the real uh, felt historical tensions between Jews and Gentiles. And he tells that church, right, at one time you were excluded from us. At one time you had no part in the kingdom. At one time you had no part in Jesus. There was a dividing wall between us. And then he writes this beautiful passage, Ephesians 2.14, speaking of Jesus. He says, for Jesus is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. What he's saying there, he's saying whatever divisions were there, they have been destroyed by the cross. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, all of humanity is equal. It does not matter your background. It does not matter your gender. It does not matter your race. It does not matter your social economic status. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. It doesn't matter how successful you are. At the cross of Jesus Christ, we are all sinners deserving death and hell. And our greatest need is for his forgiveness. God's kingdom is the great equalizer. Despite whatever differences we want to draw between each other, we all have the same desperate need and we all have the same common solution. So Jesus not only saves us, but he eliminates the need for any division or hostility between us. Which is why Galatians 3 says, there is no Jew or Greek, there's no slave or free, there's no male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. It is a beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing he has done. One of the most vivid and striking things about heaven will be how diverse it is. Because every nation, tribe, tongue, people, and language will be around the throne. 
But we're not in heaven yet, are we? And we still have our sinful natures, and the root of all division is sin. And so it would be absolutely foolish and short-sighted of us, of us to act as if racism and sexism and bigotry does not still exist in the church of Jesus Christ. It'd be blind of us to say that nobody in this room struggles with these things. And one of the telltale signs is that we're so much more angry at the suggestion that we might have this in us than we are at our own propensity to sin. Now, I really don't believe that there's open disdain, open hatred, slurs, discriminatory practices happening among us. There better not be, at least. But what I know about human nature is that we all carry this list with us subconsciously. A list of people that's just harder for us to love. A list of people that's just easier for us to dismiss them. A list of people that it's just kind of our nature to be quick to assume the worst about them. It might be a neighbor whose house or yard is in really bad condition. It could be somebody standing at a stoplight asking for money. It could be those of a different political party than ours. It could be attenders of a different denomination or followers of a different religion. And yes, it could be those of a different race or gender. But we have to be willing to admit that we have this list. That our sinful hearts are prone to discriminate and play favorites. And then we need to repent of it and turn it over to Jesus. Because when he said, you will be my witnesses to Samaria, he said, you're going to be my witnesses to your list of people who are hard for you to love. And the purpose of that is twofold. Number one, to reach them with the good news of Jesus, to save their souls, to bring them into the kingdom. But the second one is to also rid your heart of favoritism and discrimination. Because at the heart of all that is sin and evil, and our king won't abide it. He paid a dear, dear price to tear down the dividing walls. Don't you go making efforts to rebuild them. And then secondly, get personally involved in outreach to the nations. Yes, we want you to be Jesus' witnesses and make disciples here. Yes, FBN has a church, has mission partners all around this globe. That's us as a church acting in obedience to the Great Commission. But Jesus, in Matthew 28, he's, he's not addressing local churches as organizations. He's giving marching orders to every one of his disciples. And so the question that I want you to wrestle with this morning is this. How are you personally involved in missions? How are you personally involved in it? What, what are you doing to multiply the gospel worldwide? And if you don't have an answer to that question, that's a problem. And if you don't have an answer to that question, you don't know how, I'm going to give you just four really easy ways that you can step into this. And the first one is the simplest one, is you can just pray. Do you ever actively seek the Lord on behalf of people who are serving in foreign nations? Do you ever pray for missionaries? They're, they're, they're missionaries all over the world, out on the front lines. They're, they're taking the gospel to places it's never been. They face constant spiritual warfare and oppression. It's why, I don't know if you've tracked this, but I have. Every single time one of our missionaries visit, you know what they ask first for? Your prayers. They always ask first for your prayers. I've never met a missionary who's 100% financed. Every single one of them needs more support. And yet they always ask for your prayers first. Why? Because they know they need them. Have you ever connected with one? Have you ever signed up for an email newsletter? Do you ever send them encouraging notes or emails? Do you ever check in on them? Are you actively taking their name to the Lord in prayer to, to protect them and make their efforts effective? Have you joined at this level at all? If not, this is the simplest way for you to engage in this. 
A second easy way is just to send. Our, our vision here at FBN is, is to become and remain a sending church. And for some of you, going to the nations, right, going to Ford Field just isn't possible. It could be age. It could be a health issue. It could be that you have a paralyzing fear of flying or something else. If you cannot go, it doesn't mean, however, that you cannot send. As a church, right now, we're taking active steps towards uh, planting. We are praying and asking the Lord to raise up more missionaries within our own congregation so that we can send them out in this. And we have a variety of short-term missions experiences come along our way. We're not only where we get to help out our missions partners, but they can be used as an experience to kind of gauge your own personal call to missions. But going always requires a cost. You don't get to go anywhere for free. It requires a sacrifice. And so if you can't go yourself, you can send someone. You might be thinking, why in the world would I spend my hard-earned money to send someone else an experience? Why? Because we take the Great Commission seriously. Because we mean business when it comes to this. Which adds right into the third way. You can give. Right? FBN supports 21 missionaries right now, both local and global. And I'm, I'm, what I'm more pleased about than that is I'm more pleased to hear that several of you have personally, as individuals, as family, you've personally taken on the support of missionaries. That part of your monthly budget goes to a missionary every single month. If you're not called by God to pick up your life and move, a real tangible way for you to be a part of reaching the nations is by supporting those who have through regular, consistent giving to missionaries. I believe that every single follower of Jesus should, in addition to their regular tithe to God and local church, pray and ask God if they should be financially supporting a missionary as an individual or as a family. That you have to ask him. And if you ask him, I trust that he will lead you in the right direction. And then the last one is the obvious one. You can go. You can go. I told you before as a member here, I, I want you to get a passport. We do have missions partners all over the globe, so opportunities come up that we can go and help them. Opportunities come up for short-term experiences, and I think it's good for you to go. I think the entire experience is for your good. Because all of it increases your trust in God, from him providing in the trip in the first place to trusting him with those that you're leaving back home to relying on him to get you to a strange place or a new culture, to, to then doing whatever he asks of you while you're there. Just, just all of this increases your trust in the Lord. Getting out of your normal environment always broadens your horizons. It always increases your heart for the nations and always lets you see the gospel active in other cultures and contexts and countries, which is good for you. And so if you ever sense the Lord telling you to go, then go. Or it could be, and we cannot eliminate this, it could be that God is leading you to go full-time, to uproot your family, to change your plans for your retirement, to change your direction, to go as a missionary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while it's true that God does not call every follower of his to this level, every single follower of his needs to be willing to go if he does. And we need to ask him if he's sending us. We need to seek his will and see if this is what he has in store for us. We need to pay close attention when he lays certain people or certain cities or certain cultures on our hearts heavily. God may very well be equipping multiple people in this church, preparing you specifically for an overseas ministry. If you're sensing that, do you think it's by accident that you're here today? You think it's by accident that he's led you to a church that he's also telling to become a sending church? And every follower of Christ needs to be asking, God, where are you sending me? 
The answer might be Terre Haute. It might be somewhere else, but wherever it is, go with the gospel of Jesus. I remember sitting in a church in Berlin, Germany, preparing to give that day's sermon. There is an English-speaking congregation there that we have supported as a church for 20 years, and I had the privilege of speaking there. And part of their, their worship service that day was in between uh, worship songs, they were going to do a scripture reading of John 3.16. And what they asked everyone to do is if, 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 if English isn't your native tongue, right, if you're here and you, you were brought up in, in another country and you have another language other than English, would you come and read John 3.16 in your native language? And there are 14 different languages represented in that room. And I loved, like, I loved hearing, first they read in English, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then somebody came up and read it in German. And then somebody came up and read it in Russian. And then somebody came up and read it in Swahili. And somebody came up and read it in French. And on and on and on and on. And I just sat there and I closed my eyes and just listened. I just kept listening. It helped that I knew what they were saying, right? But I just kept listening and just thinking of all that God had to do to make that happen. All he had to do to make the gospel reach every single one of those countries, every single one of those cities, and every single one of those towns, and then to bring all those people into Berlin at the same time. And I was struck at not only how enormous this call is in Matthew 28, but how he's done it. How the gospel left Jerusalem, and then went to Judea, and then went to Samaria, and then went to the ends of the earth. And for the last 2,000 years, his disciples have made disciples of all nations. And that torch has now been passed to us. It's our turn to run this race. So the question is, how are you carrying it? How are you being a part of the outreach to the nations? Are you praying? Are you sending? Are you giving? Are you going? You need to ask the Lord what your role is in this. Seek him and then do as he leads. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that you, you have a heart for the nations because it means you had a heart for my nation. I'm thankful it means that you have a heart for people because you had a heart for me. And Lord, what a waste it would be of the gospel. What a waste it would be of your kingdom to receive all the benefits of your salvation and then share that with no one. To receive all the benefits of being in your kingdom and then multiply that to nowhere. And so, Lord, I'm grateful for this call to make disciples of all nations. And I pray that as a church, we would consider heavily exactly what you're asking us to do, God. And first, that, that we, would, we would ask you to reveal that, that list that we carry. God, that list of people that's just, it's harder for us to love, it's easier for us to dismiss, it's easier for us to, to think negative talk, thoughts towards God. Would we repent of that evil and cast that at the foot of the cross this morning? Lord, would you help us to see every person the way you see them, to value every person the way you value them, to see them as image bearers of yours, who your son died for to make salvation possible? And then, Lord, as we think through our own personal responsibility, our own personal call, our own personal answer to this, would you, would you send missionaries our way that we could connect with and pray for? Would you give us people that we could have a hand sending? Would you give us places that we could go? Would you give us missionaries that we could support? 
that all of us as a church could take up this mantle and take serious this calling to make disciples of all nations, that we would have a part to play in it. And lastly, God, I pray if there's anybody here who has not yet believed in Jesus Christ, they're not yet a part of this kingdom, they, they've not yet had their sins forgiven by your uh, tremendous sacrifice on the cross, that today would be their day of salvation, that right now you would reach down and save their souls. Draw them to yourselves, Lord, and save them. We pray this in your powerful, awesome name. Amen. Well, before we sing our last song, we're going to give you a chance just to spend some time praying between you and the Lord and wrestling with some of these things we've put before you today. And this is your time to, to ask him, to seek him. And then so please do not waste it. Please do not miss it, but take advantage of it.